I do want to draw your attention this morning to the book of Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to open up to this text. These are the closing words in Paul's argument in chapter 3. It is those who are of faith, he argues, like the Galatians, who are the true children of Abraham. That's what he says in verse 7, and he completes that here. Those of faith, of course, stand in contrast to those who rely, as verse 10 says, on the works of the law. And as we've been reminded of in the weeks that we've been in this book, that contrast by faith or by works of the law permeates this entire letter. Remember, the missionaries who are in Galatia and causing trouble in the churches there are telling the Gentile believers that to be right with God, they must be circumcised. They must take up the Jewish law to be truly included in God's family, to be justified, to be the true children of Abraham and the true heirs according to the promise. But against all of this, Paul in chapter 3 is saying, no, no, God is working an entirely new way in Jesus the Messiah, apart from the Jewish law. And this new way fulfills the promises that God made long ago to our father Abraham, the man of faith. This is the way, Paul says, that it was always supposed to be. And this work in the Messiah has brought an end to the role of Torah. From Paul's changed perspective in Christ, the Jewish law, as we looked at last week, belonged to an intermediate stage in the divine purpose. But with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of faith, this is verse 25, right before our passage, the stage, that stage, that intermediate stage, has now passed. It's over And the blessing of Abraham is being expanded to all nations, as God has always promised. Paul rounds out the argument of chapter 3 with verse 29, if you look at it with me. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. That's the conclusion of his argument. If you belong to the Messiah, if you are of Christ, to the promised seed, then you are, in fact, a part of Abraham's worldwide family, a family of blessing, that blessing that is undoing the curse of sin and of Adam. And it's a family that is marked out by faith, like our father Abraham. Faith in the God of resurrection, the God who can bring life where there is no life, the God who can speak a word and create something out of nothing. That is where your faith rests, and that is the faith that marks this family, this worldwide family. That's the conclusion. But having said that, in the three verses prior to verse 29, verses 26, 27, and 28, Paul makes some astounding assertions about our identity and about our identity which forms the basis and the foundation of a new kind of family. And that's what I want us to hone in on this morning, to look at together. A new identity and a new community. These address the biggest questions that we're asking all the time. Who am I? Who are we as the church and the people of God? And that's what we want to focus in on as we explore these, particularly these three verses together. So we'll start with a new identity, verses 26 and 27, starting in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We all have many different roles in 
our lives, many things that we do and people that we love. And all of this, of course, will build our sense of who we are and informs what we think about and how we spend our time. Yet fundamentally, what Paul says in verse 26, you are a child of God. Sons and daughters of the true king. This is who you are. In context, Paul is addressing the Galatians and reassuring them in the face of those who have come among them and said that, look, without the law, without circumcision, without walking in the Jewish way of life, you really aren't a part of God's family. No, Paul is saying, you don't need the law to boost your status. You are children of God. Those days are past. The new days have come. This, Galatians, is your identity. This is what God has done. And this, brothers and sisters, today is our identity too. Let's look, dig a little deeper. Notice that this is true of you, not in some vague and unclear way, but very specifically. Look at these prepositional phrases in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you and I, if we are of faith, we are in the Messiah Jesus, the one who is the true Son of God. This is our new geography, our new neighborhood, our new location. And this Messiah, this Jesus, is the one that the voice from heaven pronounced at his baptism. You are what? My beloved son. Jesus' identity is the identity of the son. He is the beloved one, the son of God. And that voice then says, with you I am well pleased. And you and I and the Galatians, are now in this beloved Son. And as a result of being in the Son, we too are sons. We are children of God. And there is nothing more important about you than this. Nothing. Nothing more basic. Nothing more central. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through, this is the other prepositional phrase, through faith. Through faith. As we have seen in this series, faith is the evidence that one's life has, in fact, been reconstituted by the Christ event, by his death and resurrection. An event in which God has made possible that which was humanly impossible. God has worked in Christ. Faith, again, is not some new kind of work, but it is rather an admission of the bankruptcy of the human person. And a looking to Christ and to his gift as the sole source and giver of worth and value in our lives. And faith is this instrument by which we cling to Christ, a posture of absolute dependence and complete trust in God's gift in Jesus. We are children of God, Paul says, in Christ Jesus through faith. And this is astounding. Now, to drive this home, verse 27, what does he do? He points to the ritual act of baptism. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, he says, have put on Christ. Why would Paul point here? Because baptism signifies our union with Christ. It is the divinely given ritual through which we are incorporated into the Messiah himself, and especially into his death and resurrection. So Paul reflects on this in Romans 6. What is true of Christ is true of us. He has died, and so have we. He has been raised, and so have we. He is a son of God, and so in him are we. So Paul says, having been incorporated into Christ, 
this little expression, we have put on Christ. Christ is now everything in our new life. We have the mind of Christ. We are animated by the Spirit of Christ. Our lives are hidden with Christ, Paul says in Colossians 3.3, with God or in God. So this is who you are. This is your identity. A child of God in Christ Jesus through faith. What a tremendous gift. Identity is the burden of our age. It's that question that continues to nag at every human soul in our world. We must craft it. We must form it. We must spin it. We must promote it. And this is a great burden. We've cast off the constraints of religion and tradition or morality and family to be free, to be fully ourselves. That defines the spirit of our age. But one wonders if we really know who we are. Scholar and pastor Dale Cuney writes, discerning or choosing our identity is one of the defining characteristics of the postmodern age. The search for personal identity arguably becomes the single most fundamental human task. But it's a task, honestly, that never ends, that can't be concluded in the terms in which we pursue it in the postmodern world. Consider the words of Rachel Hills, a current feminist writer. She says this, identity isn't just built on the basis of what we like, do, and believe, but on our ability to create a cohesive story about who we are. And whether that story looks consistent from the outside or not, when it fails to align on the inside, we are left with a sense of discomfort at best, and at worst, a deep sense of shame. In our world, our ability to create the story, did you catch that in what she said, is what matters. And when that fails, when that story that we have fabricated, that we have impressed upon the data of our life and experience, that we have spun to the world around us through all kinds of social media outlets and other places, when that story begins to break, and it will because we cannot control it, because we can't affect the change that we want, because we can't protect the things that we love, it will change, and we will be shattered in that moment, she says. Filled with shame. Do you know who you are this morning? Do you know who you are? I know this is a a basic question. But honestly, if we miss this question, if we miss the response that we hear in in this passage, we miss absolutely everything. Do you know, do you really know who you are? You are a beloved child of the mysterious, awesome, powerful, incomprehensible God of the universe. Over whose life his power, his protection, his resources, his compassion, his mercy, reign and rule. That is who you are. If you have received this divine gift, a gift that was given to you without any any alignment with your worthiness in any other system in this world. So here's who you're not, because you live in a world 
that will constantly tell you who you are for you. And unless we combat that world with this truth, we will be blown to and fro. You are not your occupation. You are not your productivity. You are not your accomplishments. I want the teenagers to hear me especially on that point. You are not your accomplishments. You are not your failures. You are not your addictions. You are not what has been done to you. You are not your pain. You are not what you have done to others. You are not what you did two days ago and are ashamed of. You are not the quality of your education. You are not your sexual desires. You are not the wealth in your bank account. You are not the compelling story that you have created about your life. You are not those things. But the world around us will tell you that that's exactly who you are and who you should embrace and who you should take pride in being. But you are not those things. Fundamentally, you are not. You are a child of God in Christ Jesus through faith. This is a wondrous truth that we desperately need to proclaim to our own souls on a daily, if not hourly, if not minute-by-minute basis because it will be challenged. It is challenged. It is opposed. It is the one thing that the enemy to God does not want you to believe about yourself. And it's no wonder that the voices in your head and in your heart and in the world around you are constantly telling you that you are not those things, you are something else. We desperately need to hear this because it's so often squeezed out of our minds and out of our hearts. And we are all tempted to begin to believe the lies that I've just listed off about who you really are. They're so strong. And when this happens, we lose the peace that God has come to give us. Peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you, Jesus says. The rest that God has come to give us, those things that are so elusive when our identity is linked and tied with all of those things that I've just mentioned. This is so true. I am, you are, a child of God. And let me say something else. This good news, and this is great news. This is the beautiful news at the heart of the biblical vision. You are a child of God. This news is not merely good news for you. It's news to proclaim from the mountaintops in a world where people are burdened by the creation and sustaining of their own identities. It's this news that we've been called to bear into the world that there is a God and his son Jesus entered into this world, went to the cross for our sakes, and rose again that we might become his children by faith. That is the beautiful news of the gospel that we're called to bear into the world where people are working, they're, they're working and working and working to become someone Anyone, something, secure, stable, restful, peaceful, and it's elusive. And it will always be elusive outside of this beautiful and wonderful message that we've been given to share with the world. I I was listening to, I went to some teaching by an English psychologist, 70-year-old man, thinking about the narrative of the culture versus the narrative of Scripture. And he said these words, and they weren't a key part in his talk, but I wrote them down because they were so powerful. He said this, quote, I refuse to leave our young people dangling in the wind on an endless treadmill of who am I today? I refuse to leave our young people dangling in the wind on an endless treadmill of who am I today? People, and not just young people, but all of us are dangling in the wind. We are being blown around and around on an endless 
treadmill, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Paul says there is only one gospel, and it has come down from a revelation from Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, you are a beloved child of God. Are you dangling in the wind this morning? Are you being blown to and fro based on whatever the last thing that you did was and how well it went? The invitation of this verse, the invitation of the gospel, is to have this question about who you are decisively answered and to stand, to be planted, to be grounded on the solid rock that is Christ, King of the world, firstborn among many brothers, son, beloved of the Father. And you and I are invited into his life. Paul doesn't stop here, but I'm going to today. And we'll come back next time to look at the revolutionary, explosive, earth-shattering realities that this gift of the identity of a son and daughter of God that has been given to us then creates grounds in terms of a new community in which Paul says there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. The identity, which is our subject this morning, necessitates the community, which will be our subject next week. There is no community outside of the identity. There is no identity outside of the community. So forgive me for splitting them from this week to next, but I'd like for us just to sit in the pronouncement of this beautiful and good news. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as were baptized into Christ, remember your baptism. You were incorporated into his death. You were buried with him under the waters. You were raised. In the, ancient, uh, in the earliest church, the baptismal candidates would strip down. They would be naked when they went into the baptismal waters. We're glad we don't do that today, but they would be naked as they went into the waters. They would come out of the waters, and they would be given a new robe to put on. And many think this is what Paul is pointing to here in verse 27, that you would put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You would be wearing him, that your whole life would cohere in him. This changes everything about who we are. It's amazing news. It's a rock to stand on. It's something to sink into, to rest in, to lie in, to wade in, to savor in, to marinate in. This is who you are. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. There is nothing more central, nothing more basic. And that will then change, as we'll look at next week, the way in which you relate to the person sitting next to you right now, or behind you, or in front of you. It will radically revolutionize and create a whole new family around this Jesus, where one's worth and status is only based on one's relation to him. Thanks be to God. Let's spend a minute or two in silence, and then I'll close this.